What does the research reveal about whether non-pharmacologic therapies reduce the most common menopause symptoms? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Barbara Swanson. Dr. Swanson is an associate professor in the Department of Adult Health Nursing at Rush University College of Nursing in Chicago, Illinois. Her research focuses on complementary and alternative therapies. Dr. Swanson, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. What is the most common complaint among menopausal women? Hot flashes are easily the most common complaint. They occur at a higher frequency than other complaints, including sleep disturbances, mood changes, or headaches. How many menopausal women report hot flashes? Data seem to indicate that about 75 to 85% of women who are either perimenopausal or postmenopausal in the United States will experience hot flashes. And if you look at actual numbers, that translates to about 25 million to 28 million women. What does the research reveal in terms of how many hot flashes women experience per day? Well, you know, the prevalence seems to vary across the menopausal transition. There were data published a few years ago from the SWAN study, which stands for the Study of Women's Health Across the Nation. It's a large epidemiological study that's looking at physical and psychological factors across midlife. And they found that the relative risk of experiencing hot flashes increased as women progressed through the stages of perimenopause. So women at early perimenopause experience fewer hot flashes than a woman at later perimenopause but once a woman reached postmenopause, then the relative risk of hot flashes seemed to decline. But it's also important to note that even though there appears to be sort of a temporal association between frequency of hot flashes and where a woman is in the menopausal transition, there's tremendous variability within individual women. You know, at one end of the spectrum, you may have women who are experiencing hot flashes only every few days. At the other end, you may have a woman who's experiencing them hourly. So it can be highly variable. Describe the ideology of hot flashes. Well, it's interesting because it's the most common complaint of menopausal women, but we still don't have a complete understanding of the physiological mechanisms that underlie hot flashes. But based on what we know, it appears that when our estrogen levels decline, it causes alterations in levels of specific neurotransmitters, serotonin levels, which tend to go down, and norepinephrine levels, which tend to go up. And the alterations of these two neurotransmitters appear to affect the hypothalamus. Specifically, what they seem to do is they narrow the temperature zone in the hypothalamus so that if a woman experiences a slight increase in her temperature, whereas before menopause, the menopausal transition, that would have fallen within the range of normal temperatures and no physiological response would have been initiated, now that temperature is considered by the hypothalamus to be too hot. The woman starts feeling hot and then all these autonomic cooling responses are initiated, and that's when a woman starts having the flushing and the sweating. In your article in Advance for Nurses titled The Heat is On, you explain that non-pharmacologic therapies have gained popularity because of the scare associated with estrogen replacement therapies. What does the research reveal about herbs? Well, you know, Susan, for just about any herb, it's 
very difficult to draw confident conclusions from the literature because the studies test different preparations of herbs that are not compositionally equivalent. They test different doses. They test different treatment durations. And oftentimes, these studies don't use placebo control groups. They have all sorts of methodological flaws. And it's really hard to sit through this and come up with any meaningful conclusions that we can then communicate to women about what they should do with respect to herbs. I think things are going to get better in the coming years because we're seeing increased federal funding for clinical trials of herbs and more clinical trials that are scientifically sound, well-designed, well-controlled are going to be published. We should have a better understanding of the role of herbs in managing menopausal symptoms. What does the research reveal about dietary supplements from plant sources, such as soy protein, red clover, and flaxseed? You know, next to soy, the supplement that's been most widely studied for the management of menopausal symptoms is black cohosh, which many of us in this country know as Femin. It's been widely used in Germany for decades to manage menopausal symptoms. And what's attractive to many women about black cohosh is it doesn't bind to estrogen receptors. So women who are fearful of increasing their breast cancer risk are drawn to black cohosh as an herbal therapy to manage menopausal symptoms. What The way black cohosh seems to work is it binds to serotonin receptors and thus helps to reduce some of the thermoregulatory effects associated with reduced serotonin levels. And also, as you might expect, there is some evidence that it helps manage some depressive symptoms. A number of studies have been published on black cohosh that show that it reduces the frequency of hot flashes and does improve depressive symptoms. But again, so many of these studies are limited by methodological flaws, lack of control groups, And unfortunately, many of them have been funded by the manufacturer of black cohosh, which certainly raises questions about the objectivity of of the findings. Interestingly, there was a major study published last year in the Annals of Internal Medicine, very well controlled, free from industry bias, that found that black cohosh was no more effective than placebo in reducing hot flashes. So what we know about black cohosh is a mixed bag, and I don't think we really have clear message to communicate to women. With respect to red clover, hasn't been studied as well, and what we do know about it, the existing clinical trial data really haven't shown any convincing evidence that it reduces hot flashes, and I think we can draw the same conclusions about flaxseed. There really haven't been a lot of sound studies that have been conducted. There was a clinical trial published about two years ago that found no differences in hot flashes in women who took flaxseed compared with those who took wheat germs. So we don't know a whole lot about flaxseed at this point. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Barbara Swanson, an associate professor in the Department of Adult Health Nursing at Rush University College of Nursing in Chicago, Illinois, discussing whether non-pharmacologic therapies reduce the most common menopause symptoms. Dr. Swanson, tell us more about soy. Is a plant-based dietary supplement. You know, the, the major dietary source for us is soybeans. And the reason why people take soy is because it contains phytoestrogens. And phytoestrogens are chemicals that are similar to estrogen in that they can interact with estrogen receptors. But from a pharmacological standpoint, they really act more like selector of estrogen receptor modulators. Now, there's a large body of soy literature. And again, we have to regard that with a caveat that many of these studies have substantial flaws 
But if you look at the bulk of the research, it does tend to suggest that soy is not effective for reducing hot flashes. But we shouldn't close the book on soy yet because there are a couple of interesting findings out there. One, there is some evidence that if a soy preparation contains at least 15 milligrams of genistine, which is one type of phytoestrogen, it is effective in reducing hot flashes. So preparations that perhaps have higher levels of that particular phytoestrogen may be more effective in reducing hot flashes. There's also evidence that there might be great individual variability in a woman's response to soy products, and that's because approximately 30 to 40% of the general population harbor a microflora in their gut, which will convert one phytoestrogen, which is called dadezine, uh, to equal, which is a much more highly estrogenic metabolite than the parent compound. So we've got perhaps 60 to 70% of women out there who lack this microflora and maybe aren't getting the full estrogenic benefits of soy. You probably would think, well, the next study would be to see what would happen if we gave probiotics in combination with soy to deliver this gut microflora to individuals. They have done a couple of studies that hasn't seemed to increase its efficacy. So again, we probably need more studies, larger studies that look at women for longer treatment durations before we can make any statements about the use of probiotics. But probably the most promising news regarding soy is it is beneficial with respect to lipids. There was a recent meta-analysis done that looked at 38 controlled soy studies, and they concluded that it was efficacious for lowering LDL cholesterol and triglycerides, as well as increasing the HDL cholesterol. So importance of soy may not be with hot flashes. It may be with managing dyslipidemia. Does natural mean safe and effective? No. A number of dietary supplements have serious safety issues, and the best-known ones are ephedra and kava. And it shouldn't be surprising that these supplements have safety issues because if you think about why people are taking them, people don't take dietary supplements because they're not getting enough of a particular supplement in their diet. For example, nobody takes ginseng because they're not getting enough ginseng in their diet. They take these supplements because they have pharmacological properties. And like any pharmacological agent, these supplements have precautions, contraindications, and drug interactions that should be taken into account by the people who use them. Dr. Swanson, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss your complementary and alternative therapy research. Thank you. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.